0: Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 22. You will find this in your bulletin on page 6, and I want to invite you to stand with me as we read God's word together. The Gospel of Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 22. And this is God's word. This is the word of the Lord. If you would, lift your hands with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and pray that you would help us to be both hearers and doers of your word. We pray that you would mobilize us and help us to participate in the work that you're doing in the world. Do a work of transformation through the preaching of the word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. During the Revolutionary War, the American patriots fought long and hard to be free. They fought long and hard, they struggled to gain their freedom from the feeling of tyranny, from the experience of tyranny by Great Britain. They wanted just treatment. They wanted an equitable society. However, these colonists were a walking contradiction because they failed to extend the same justice that they fought for for themselves. They were a walking contradiction because with one breath, they were able to speak out for their own freedom from tyranny, from bondage, and the very next breath, speak in order to keep other people enslaved. There was a contradiction in these people. They endorsed slavery actively, and they passively refused to extend justice and rights to those who deserved them. The very people who actively pursued justice for themselves were the ones who withheld justice from others, and it was a contradiction. It was a contradiction. And it's easy to look back and critique these American patriots for their inconsistencies and to miss our own inconsistencies on the same point. As Christians, we regularly acknowledge that God has set us free through Jesus Christ. God has set us free from sin and the curse of the law. God has set us free from shame and guilt and and death. God has set us Free from everything that stunts and shackles human life. We, we fight to live in this freedom and to embody this life of freedom for ourselves. But there's a question. Have we been as vigilant when it comes to the freedom of our neighbors locally and globally? Have we been as vigilant in the fight for their freedom as we have been in the fight for our own? Are we so focused on our personal freedoms that we have endorsed slavery for others through sheer passivity? Do we pursue just and equitable arrangements for ourselves while we withdraw from the work of seeing these arrangements come to pass for others? This is the question. These are the the questions that we have to ask as God's people if we talk so much about being set free, if we talk so much about our freedom in Christ, it demands that our lives align with our own stated identity. We claim, I am free. We claim, Jesus has set me free, but then the question is, what are you doing to see freedom come to reality for others? That's the question. So today, I'm glad that we're partnering with International Justice Mission to celebrate Freedom Sunday with 2700 churches around the globe. I'm glad, I'm glad, because Freedom Sunday is really about, one, recognizing the fact that there is a problem. There is a justice problem. There is a lack of justice around the globe. Two, we are gathering together in order to acknowledge that God's heart is for the oppressed. God cares about the marginalized. God cares about those who are vulnerable. And three, we are coming together to recognize that God does not just zap and microwave the world into justice. He uses instruments, and we, the church, are his instrument. Three things acknowledge it, acknowledge God's heart relative to the problem, and then acknowledge and accept our own part. In that fight for justice. So this morning, we're going to be turning to Luke's gospel. It's one of the most underappreciated verses about Jesus, I think, from churches in America, particularly. It's a statement that Jesus gives in order to introduce himself at the, at the beginning stages of his ministry, And what we're going to see in this text this morning is the heart of Christian spirituality. There's lots of talk about spirituality today. And it's good. It's good. The world is not getting more secular. It's getting getting more spiritual. But the question we all must ask is, what is the nature of my spirituality? Christians, we must acknowledge and ask the question, what is the heart of Christian spirituality? And non-Christian friends who are in here this morning, we want to invite you to listen in on what it is that we understand spirituality to be about, and we're helped by this passage this morning. This is the main point, the heart of Christian spirituality. I got one point this morning. We need to look at the heart of Christian spirituality, and it has everything to do with our life of participation in the work of justice. So our passage opens up in verses 14 through 15, and it tells us that there was a report that went out about Jesus all around the countryside. People were like, who is this Jesus figure? He was gaining notoriety as a popular teacher. People were wowed by the things he was saying and the things that he was doing. His fame was spreading. The the, 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 the message of Jesus, who he was, was spreading through the grapevine. And he was getting people's attention because of his teaching in the local synagogues. And our passage for today really picks up on what you could call the first Freedom Sunday. Jesus is going to church as usual. And whenever there was a notable teacher that would come into town, they would give that teacher the mic. And they would have him speak and teach the people. And and, and when Jesus takes the mic... We have to be reminded of the fact that Luke is trying to answer a question for us. Who is Jesus and what is he about? Who is Jesus and what is he about? Why? That, this is the reason why Luke includes this little story in his gospel. He's trying to show you something of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. Now, you may have heard versions about who Jesus is and what Jesus is about, But here we're getting it straight from the gospel writer. And it's like this. Whenever I speak in other places, people will introduce me. And they'll say, this is is Pastor Russ Whitfield, pastor of Grace Mosaic Church in Washington, D.C. But what we see in this text is, is Jesus is saying, Isaiah has introduced me already. And how does he introduce me? Look at the text. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, verse 18, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is, this is the introduction that we get to Jesus in Luke's gospel. Who is he? He's the one that the spirit of God has been poured upon in order to do this work of preaching and liberating. Jesus ascribes this passage in Isaiah 61 to himself. So imagine Jesus comes into church. The leaders of that local church, synagogue, they they recognize him and they say, hey, we want you to come up and give a word. And, and, And the leader of the synagogue reads this passage in Isaiah. And Jesus, after, after the, the passage is read, Jesus gets up and he says, all right, here's my sermon. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, I am introducing the reality that was described in Isaiah 61. And he does it with four phrases. What is the ministry and spirituality of Jesus about? Don't miss this. At the very beginning of this This quote, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And what we're seeing is the spirituality of Jesus. What does it mean to be spiritual? Well, some people will say, you know, it's when you, you know, have your prayer time and you 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 do your Bible reading time and you go to church and you maybe go to a Bible study and you're a spiritual person. Some people would say, oh, well, you know, I I meditate and I, I do yoga and... Um, you know, I, I, I try to be aware and that's, that's, I'm spiritual. But in this text, Jesus is challenging our understanding of what true, healthy spirituality is. And look how he frames it up. First phrase, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. What is the impact of my spirituality? Well, As Jesus sees it, the Spirit of God has been poured upon his life to, one, proclaim good news to the poor. Now, check it out. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders uh, of the day, they despised the poor. The ancient Greek philosophers neglected the poor. But here in this passage, we see that Jesus brings good news to the poor. He relates to the poor very differently than everyone else did. Remember, he sets this up by talking about the ministry of the Spirit in and through Jesus. That's that's what Luke is doing. The concern of Jesus, you can see, is that his work is directed toward the vulnerable, toward the marginalized, those who are in dire straits. And this is to inform our understanding of Christian spirituality. Jesus connects the ministry of the spirit to preaching good news to the poor. In other words, I'll put it like this. Let me put it a different way. If you don't have good news for the poor, you don't have Christian spirituality. That's the first point that we see in this this quote. Second, why has the spirit of the Lord been poured upon Jesus? What is the effect of his spirituality? Two, to proclaim liberty... To the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Now, this is a phrase that was originally applied to the people of Israel when they were in exile in Babylon. They were away from home, they were homesick, they were oppressed by foreign oppressors who took all of their talents, who took all of their abilities, all of their intelligence and creativity and used it for their own selfish purposes. This was the situation of the people of Israel when this phrase was applied to them. They were held under foreign powers. They were enduring forced labor by, by a foreign kingdom, and they were miserable. But Jesus announces here that the Spirit is upon him to preach the message of liberation to the captive. To speak the message of liberation to the captive. In other words, if your spirituality does not hold out freedom to the captive, then it's not Christian spirituality. What's the next thing? To set at liberty those who are oppressed. The Greek word here, thraō means those who are broken to pieces. Those who are broken to pieces, the downtrodden, the weak, the vulnerable, the broken, those who are held in the firm grip of oppression and evil circumstances. Remember, we're in Nazareth of Galilee. These were working poor. These were people who had a subsistence living. They didn't know where their next meal was necessarily going to come from. They didn't know how they might pay their bills on a given week. They didn't know if their check was going to come in the mail. They lived hand to mouth. And what we see here is that Jesus, the message of Jesus, is directly relevant to people in this kind of situation. This is not all heavenly minded, no earthly good kind of spirituality. This is boots on the ground spirituality to set liberty Set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus is saying to the oppressed, my ministry is tailor-made for your needs. And the last thing that Jesus says, if you want to understand the impact of my spirituality, if you want to understand what the lived reality of of the follower of Jesus is supposed to be, finally, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what's that mean? It's an allusion to the year of Jubilee. In the 50th year in the calendar, when the trumpet was blown and through the whole, through the whole land, there was, a, there was a proclamation that was made. All slaves were set free. All debts were exhausted. They were removed. And the restoration of possessions went back to the original families who possessed them. In other words, there was a repairing of social dynamics that had become broken. That's what happened in the year of Jubilee. So now, take the cumulative effect. If you gather up these phrases, what is Jesus saying about the nature of his spirituality? In effect, what should be the nature of Christian spirituality? Check it out. What is the Spirit of God doing in the life of Jesus? He's empowering a personal and social ministry to the vulnerable, the marginalized, and the oppressed. It's personal. It deals with individuals, and it deals with heart dynamics, but it is also social. It affects the way that people relate to one another. It affects their lived dynamics of communities, this is the spirituality of Jesus. It's not one to the neglect of other, and that's where the American church has often failed. Some churches have been so dialed into personal spirituality, personal piety, Bible reading, prayer, going to Bible study, going to church, that they neglect what's going on in the neighborhood. They don't know anything about the needs of the poor. They couldn't name any hurting people in their community because they are so internally focused. But then there are other churches who have been so dialed into social dynamics that they have no longer given concern to personal growth and spirituality, to personal affectedness with the gospel, to being touched by the reality of what God has done in Jesus Christ. They have become effectively a religious nonprofit. We're, they're doing things in the neighborhood, but they do not hold out ultimate hope any longer. But what we see in this passage is Jesus isn't allowing either of those churches to get off the hook. He's telling those who are internally focused on their own personal spirituality, and they just, they just love to do quiet time and do Bible reading, and they love to go to worship, but they don't give a concern about their neighbor. He's saying, no, 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 that's not Christian spirituality. That's not what it means to follow me, and he's saying to those who are out there, just holding out a vague general, it's love. It's love. And they're providing meals and they're doing you know good in the neighborhood, but they are not connecting people to ultimate reality, ultimate hope, ultimate life, ultimate freedom. He's saying, you, you don't have the entirety of Christian spirituality either. It's both and, not either or. I'm going to say that again. It's both and, not either or. We don't have to choose here. In fact, we don't get to choose here if we're going to say we are holding on to a Christian spirituality. It's both and. We must care about the internal life, the, the, the dynamics internally in my own heart, and the way that it needs Jesus. But we also must take concern for the physical, external realities of people who are, who are suffering. This is what the text is showing us here. Look at the scope of Jesus' spirituality. The spirituality of Jesus cannot be reduced to the personal, and it cannot be reduced to the social. It's both. Healthy Christian spirituality doesn't spiritualize everything, if you take my meaning. Jesus is not just talking about liberating those who are in bondage spiritually, it's that, but you think Jesus doesn't intend for his people to take up the cause of liberating actual physical captives? This is what Jesus is after, y'all. It's both and. Listen, there was an ancient heresy in the church called Gnosticism. Someone say Gnosticism. Gnosticism was an ancient heresy where people said only the spiritual matters. The physical is evil. Don't even waste your time with the physical. It's all about the spiritual. But here's the reality. That is heresy because because Jesus to this day has validated and vindicated and dignified the physical world. He rose from the dead in a physical body. He affirms creation as good, and we are headed for new creation, not disembodied floating in the clouds. We are headed for a new heaven and a new earth. This world seems solid. The world to come is going to be even more solid, more tangible, more real. It's both physical and spiritual. The resurrection of Jesus as a physical, spiritual human being validates that. We aren't Gnostics here. Jesus' ministry is all-encompassing, the spiritual and the physical. It's not either or, it's both and. And this, listen, let's get down to brass tacks. This this seems relevant in that cultural moment where people were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They were, the, the, the Jewish people were a persecuted minority at the time. And all of this that Jesus is talking about, it seems really relevant to people in that kind of situation. But we're in America, land of the free, home of the brave. What do I need this for? I want to speak to you for a few moments. Why do you need this, American Christian? At least for three reasons. First, this passage, in telling us about the spirituality of Jesus, it dictates the terms of our spirituality and our ministry as the church. If you are going to say that you follow Jesus, then you must care about what he cares about and care about whom he cares about. You must be about the work that he is about. The church is to continue the ministry of Jesus. Why should you care about this American Christian? This whole message of Jesus caring about the oppressed and and those who are captives and those who are bound and those who need liberation, those who are oppressed. Why should you care about this? Because our calling is to continue the ministry of Jesus. That's our calling. Luke says everything that he wants to say in painting the picture of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. But in the book of Acts, that's the second volume of his telling the story. In the beginning of Acts, he says to the guy he's writing to, he says, when I first wrote to you, I told you about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus began to do and teach. And the implication is this, as he tells the story of the church, He's going to tell you about all that Jesus continues to do and teach through his people. In other words, that's our role. That's our responsibility. It's not optional. You don't get to go through the, through, through the a la carte and say, uh, no, no, thanks. I don't want any justice. I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to participate in any of that. Just give me me and Jesus. I just want to save my soul. I just want some fire insurance so that I can act up and come back and say, oh, forgive me, God. That's all I want. Just give me a little bit of that. You don't get to go a la carte with this. That's the first reason why you must care about this. This is telling us the scope of the Spirit's ministry in the lives of his people and in the life of his church. Second, Christians must think globally and care about the world. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating. America is not the center of the world, and the American church is not the center of the church. We serve a God who is over all of creation, and he has people everywhere. You realize that we, America, are the ends of the earth that Jesus describes in the book of Acts. I'm sending you out to the ends of the earth We're not the center. We must think globally. And when you begin to think globally and you begin to see global problems, you begin to desire to participate in the the relief of those global problems. Yes, we focus locally. We work in our local context to matter, to make impact, to be connected with what's happening here. Yes, we have limited bandwidth, we have limited resources, we're a small church, but we are responsible for leaning into this in the best ways we can, and we must also think globally. And that's why we support the global work of justice. And that's why we use our church's resources to support those who are doing that work, both locally and globally. That's the second reason why you must care about this, because we, as the church, are to be a global community. That's the way we're to think about the world and God's work in the world. The arena of redemption is the entire created order, and that is the arena of our work of ministry together. Third, I will say this. Uh, Americans are in bondage to many things, and we just don't realize it. That's why this message matters to you. This message matters because it dictates the terms of our spirituality. It, it, it's a reminder that we're to be a globally thinking community. And finally, we're not as free as we think we are. You aren't as free as you think you are. We're in bondage to many things. We're in bondage to approval of other people. We're in bondage to control. We just gotta control things. We're in bondage to reputation. We, We need to be well thought of. We're in bondage to success. What do I do if I'm not successful and high achieving? We're in bondage to security. We're in bondage to recognition from others. We got addictions of various sorts. We self-medicate. Culturally, we're just not as free as we think we are, so we need the message of liberation as much as anybody on the planet. We do. The God of the Bible is telling us something about what, he is a, what he's doing in the world and what we're to be doing in the world. That's the gist of this passage. How how are we to think about our life in this world? First, we must personally experience the freedom that Jesus is describing in this passage. He means to set us free. He has set us free through the gospel. Take another look at the text and consider how Jesus fulfills this passage and good news pours out for us. It's just the beginning, it's not the end. Here's the reality. Jesus brings good news for the poor. Jesus became poor like us so that we who were poor could be made rich. That's the good news. We went from rags to riches because Jesus went from riches to rags for our redemption. That's the gospel. Christ identifies with the spiritually and materially poor in our vulnerability so that the poor could identify with him in his venerability, in his greatness, in his honor and dignity. That's the flip that takes place in the gospel. What we see is this. You may be poor in here this morning, and the government might not care, but you need to know that God cares. You may be oppressed this morning and fighting for freedom, and no one else seems to care, but you need to know that God cares, and God is determined to get his people to care. You might feel like you are within an inch of your life. But what we see in this text is that God has demonstrated his great concern for you. You may be forgotten by the powerful of this world, but the good news is that the all-powerful God of eternity remembers people such as you. And that's good news. This is the difference that Jesus makes. We no longer deal in partiality because everyone in every age is tempted to deal with others in partiality based upon what I think I can get from that person. And so I treat people of means differently than I treat those who don't have means. I treat people of influence better than I treat people who don't have much influence. The gospel is meant to completely eradicate partiality. We are to be the kind of community that affirms the existing dignity of all of God's people, all image bearers in this world, whether they are Christian or not. We are are to be a dignity affirming community. Why? Because he affirmed our dignity. What could dignify you more than the son of God come in the flesh to rescue your life? That affirms your great worth to God. And when you have had your worth affirmed by God so magnificently, you should become the kind of person who affirms the worth of other peoples. That's our call. Good news for the poor. The gospel tells us that Jesus liberates the captives. The Lord has created a free people so that we will join the work to free people. Do you hear me? He has created a free people so that we will join the work of creating a free people. Free from shame and guilt, free from the burden of sin, free from the chains of the grave, and also free from material stresses and oppression that people are facing in this city and in this world. We don't get the choose either or. It's both and. It's both and. And in as much as the church has been so overly focused on the, phys- the spiritual and have neglected the material needs of people, they have undercut the message of the gospel. They have undercut the working out of the gospel in the life of the church. Because God cares about you, both physical and spiritual, and that's why he has a resurrection plan for you, Friends. That's the good news, that God cares for you, body and soul. Jesus continues his ministry today through his church, both personally and socially. God creates a freedom-fighting people. The gospel tells us that Jesus set at liberty, those who are oppressed, broken to pieces. And Jesus Christ, the downtrodden, the weak, those who have been broken to pieces, have an advocate they have an advocate if your story is that you were broken to pieces but you found in jesus an advocate and a rescuer and a savior then you are to be the kind of person who becomes an advocate for those who are broken to pieces do you see it do you want to follow jesus then this is what your life will start to look like you won't despise those who have who have difficult circumstances, even if they have made bad decisions to bring it on themselves. That that, that doesn't matter. What if Jesus had said to you, well, you made a mess of your life, it's your fault. Why should I have to get involved? You big dummy, if you wouldn't have made that bad decision, if you wouldn't have spent your money so badly, if you wouldn't have ruined your own life, then I wouldn't have to get involved. If Jesus had did toward us what we're tempted to do toward other people, we would be lost. But because he chose to do otherwise, because he said, yes, it's your fault, but your rescue is going to be my fault. Yes, it's your fault that you ruined your life, but it's going to be my fault that your life is redeemed. Because he took that direction toward you, you are to be the kind of person who looks at the world in compassion. Yes, it may be their fault. Maybe it's not their fault. Maybe it's systemic realities that are keeping them under the grind. And we need to fight the oppressive systems. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's corruption in systems that is coming to work out in a, a perpetual underclass of people who can't get their head above water. Regardless of the reasons why, we are to be the kind of people who look out with compassion and a desire to change things, to participate in liberating people. That's our story, so it should be the way in which we relate to the world. The gospel proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. In Jesus Christ, we can declare the year of Jubilee. The age of salvation has come. We can announce to the whole land that slaves are free by faith in the gospel, but we now have the spiritual power, the freedom, and the calling to declare to the world's captives, We are coming for you. We see you, and we are gonna, we're not going to stop until we see you set free, body and soul. It's both and not either or. We're fighting for you to see you set free. It's it's only consistent with our story that we fight to see people in physical bondage set free. The life and ministry of Jesus should turn us into the greatest advocates and activists for justice, for equity, for the just and dignified treatment of other human beings. For shalom, I'm gonna leave you with this passage. And this passage is, is right before the one that Jesus read aloud in the synagogue that day. It's from Isaiah 58. He says this, listen. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? In other words, doing your quiet time and being spiritual on the outside. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Check it out. Check it out. Here it is. You see what he's saying? No, no, no. Look what he's saying. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily your righteousness shall go before you the glory of the lord shall be your rear guard then you shall call and the lord will answer you shall cry and he will say here i am if you take away the yoke from your midst the pointing of the finger And speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. He says when you participate in the work of justice, there is the testimony to how great I am in my redeeming love. That is the way you show the world what I'm about and who I am. So let us acknowledge the reality that Jesus has fought an altogether more revolutionary war at the cross. And let us not be found living in the contradiction of gladly receiving freedom for ourselves that we fail to extend to others. Let us be a just community. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these friends. We ask that you would help us to live up into these realities, to be this kind of community. And when we fail to simply repent and do better, to change, we know we don't have it all figured out. We don't have it all together, but we want to do the best we can with what we got, with the resources and the community that we have right now, right here. And we we want to be your witnesses in this world through the way we work for justice and to see people liberated and to see people experience equitable circumstances in society in as much as it is in our power to participate in those ways. So help us, Lord. Free us from fear. Free us from analysis paralysis and help us to represent you well in the world in these ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.